Don't go too fast. Found you out by the side of the road. Looked like somebody took the beating on you pretty bad. Uh, I guess I best be on my way. Well, I, I think we need to talk. For no, me. sir. I gotta be on my way. Now, best get your wits about you before you do that. I, I want to tell you about that. Why you got me chained? Why you let them men treat you like that? What the hell you know about me? God put you in my path, and I aim to cure you of your wickedness. Get your ass back in my house! What you thinking? A half-naked white woman chained up in your house? I done made up my mind on this. I ain't gonna be moved. You can take this off. You ain't right yet. I'm fixing steaks for supper. I expect you to stay. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 230, Sallow, or the 120 <laughs> Days of Sodom. Matt, I surprised you. What? Not That's ready. what we're really doing. Audio commentary. <laughs> Play. Yeah. No, I'm joking. We're doing Black Snake Moan. This is the last week of One Trashy Summer. Don't worry, we're not going to ever do Sallow on this show. <laughs> I've never even watched it. So, I'm too afraid. I was watching Black Snake Moon, and I'm like, is this what they're talking about when they say the dirty South? It kind of feels that way. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, I guess. Mixture of the blues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a lot Some of other, other stuff. things, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, this is going to be like navigating a landmine it might actually be easier to do sallow right now that's true <laughs> that might be less tricky that's right than black snake moan but we're gonna try it we're wrapping up one trashy summer next week things are gonna get back to normal 
Although this is a movie, unlike some of the other picks this month, that people should be familiar with. It's from 2006. It That's stars right. Samuel L. Jackson, Christina Ricci, Justin Timberlake. I don't think that it's like too obscure, but we are going to go back to the normal schedule next month. The only reason I point that out is I think that people are going to see the feed and freak out and be like, is this where we're headed now? Just yeah. movies no one knows about, trash, what yeah. have you. We're, we're always kind <laughs> of like dipping our toes into that and then coming back. So before we talk about Black Snake Moan, we encourage you to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. Let us know on Twitter if you'd like a sticker. Give us a rating and review. Let us know what you think of the show. We'd love to hear from you, the listener. It's really what keeps us going through these dark times. Yeah, I'd say so. There's nothing better than someone reaching out and just saying, hey, appreciate the show. Absolutely. <laughs> this is sad. Yeah. We're like begging people to well, just whatever. anything. Please. You got to drum up interest somehow. <laughs> yeah, usually that's by doing things like Pathetic, Hot Dog the Movie and pleading. Sorority Babes yes. and Black Snake Moan. Definitely whipping people into a frenzy with these selections. But as I said, this is it for One Trashy Summer. So here we go. The grand finale. 2006, written and directed by Craig Brewer, coming off of Hustle and Flow, which was a surprise hit. It yeah. won a Oscar for, for Best, Best Song. Song. Yes, <laughs> notably 3-6 Mafia yes. uh, Academy Award winners. And sort of put Brewer on the map. He's done a lot of interesting things in his career. Honestly, these two films at the beginning might have been the peak, although I do really enjoy Dolomite Is My Name, which was the Netflix movie. That's right. From a couple years ago. But he he did did the Footloose remake. Recommendation on this at some point. Yeah. He did the Footloose remake with Juliana Huff. Oh, yeah. And I don't know who the dude is in that. I know Miles Teller is in that as well. She's fit. Yeah. Most recently, he did Coming to America, the number two, the sequel, That's which right. I heard was unwatchably bad, and I have not watched it. So I have zero interest in that. I can believe it. But his first two films sort of, or well, he did have a film before Hustle and Flow, but no one really knew about it. These are the two films that announced his presence. Black Snake Moan is the follow-up. It's the sort of film that a young filmmaker can make when they're full of gusto at least during this time period i don't think anyone's making it now yeah. so let's start there <laughs> please could this film be made today i'm gonna say hard no <laughs> i don't think it would be well received yeah although i don't even really know why <laughs> <laughs> i mean this movie is insane and it's like kind of making some crazy leaps and there's just wild things happening but it all feels like it's not supposed to be real well yes but i think you're giving audiences and critics too much credit i think people are gonna view this stuff like pretty face value sure and question the message that it sends look well if that's the case then yeah there's no way (laughs) i find the movie pretty enjoyable i don't know that it 100 percent succeeds at what it's trying to do i think the ending is sort of ludicrous i think it's absolutely way too long This movie should probably be 15 to 20 minutes shorter. But I love the idea of just coming up with something crazy and the balls to just do it and committing to the idea. And there's sort of like a fearlessness to it of 
not giving a shit how the audience is going to react. Right. And putting everything in, a bunch of provocative, taboo things. That's sort of one of the funny things. I'm jumping all over the place right now, but in the negative reviews for this film back when it came out, a lot of them would kick off with the idea that, like, oh, this movie's trying to be provocative, trying to do this, trying to do that, but then would proceed to write 12 paragraphs about after how that it pissed them off yeah and it's like well it did provoke you though. yeah <laughs> i don't know how it's trying to yeah, be provocative yeah. <laughs> but yeah it's not just there's like racial components to this sexual com- components to this exploitation all kinds of shit swirled together that's right gender stuff i mean it is like a wild cocktail of ideas almost this like reverse slavery implication <laughs> yeah there's all kinds of stuff yeah the budget for the film was $15 million, which seems crazy, because the box office was only 10.9, so it lost some money. Mm, yikes. One of my favorite things, though, and this is sort of separate from the movie itself, is on the Blu-ray of the movie, like on the cover, it says, Two Thumbs Way Up, <laughs> from Richard Roper and guest critic Ebert and Roper. I found out that the guest critic was Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was so funny that they didn't put Kevin Smith. They put <laughs> guest critic. <laughs> They're like, okay, never mind. Just put guest critic. That's we hilarious. don't want to bring this that thing down. That will sell more than Kevin Smith's name. Oh, yeah. He was very effusive in his praise for this film. And I actually do remember an era of listening to the early days of Smith's podcasts where he did talk about Craig Brewer a lot. See... And I I like what this movie's going for, and I like it just kind of being crazy. But it's hard for me to sit there and say that it's, like, a great movie, even though I like it. You know, I I don't know that I would have been so effusive about the final product of this movie. I agree with you. I do think that part of it is that 2006 was a very different time. It felt more unique, maybe? Yeah, and envelope pushing was much more celebrated than it is now. We've sort of been conditioned to clutch our pearls a little bit at the idea of pushing the envelope at all so i think in a pre grindhouse world meaning the rodriguez tarantino movie pre-machete like these exploitative homages right that's true feel different it probably felt more throwback at that time one of the things that came in the aftermath of this film i think a couple of years later christina ricci was sort of critical of the marketing of the film felt that it was like trashy and exploitative and she didn't think it represented the film. With Does the, that not represent it appropriately? Though, well, that's my question is, yeah. is this a trashy film? I don't know. That's the answer. That, that's, all, that's the answer I can give. Is there like nudity in it and implications and weird visuals with the chain and all this stuff? Yeah, there is. <laughs> but I'm not entirely sure if the end result is supposed to be trashy or if it's supposed to be some sort of a morality It feels like they're going for a good story at the end, but... Yeah. And not like good story, not like well-conceived story, but, you know... A feel-good story. Right, yes. Yeah. It was divisive even in 2006, which seems like a much more permissive time than now. I think it's funny to investigate the special features on the Blu-ray, which have a lot of talking heads from producers and Craig Brewer, the director and some of the stars of the film and whatnot. And one of the producers who also produced Hustle and Flow was the late, great John Singleton. Right. And Singleton is saying that it was exciting to make this film in 2006 
because the idea of just the visual of chaining up a white woman in Mississippi where they were filming it would have gotten them like killed and arrested and lynched and all this stuff like 30 years before. And I just thought it was funny that he was basically praising the open-mindedness of 2006. And I was like, man, if he only knew. Right, really. (laughs) A little over a decade later, there's no way you're getting away with this now. (laughs) And some people would say, yeah, you're not getting away with it. And that's the right answer. So I don't know. I, I, I can't really say for sure how I feel about the ideas of this movie. This is something that if this was low budget and didn't have any stars in it and was sort of like straight from like the grindhouse world, you wouldn't think twice. You would just be like, yeah, of course, it's something crazy. You know, I spit on your grave or some crazy bullshit. But the fact that this is like a somewhat big Hollywood movie with stars in it, with a budget, you're definitely going to raise eyebrows and people are going to be like, what is this? Well, true. What is the message of this movie? But nowadays we're overly delicate when it comes to anything sexual. Well, when I think about this movie, I just can't get behind the idea of just being like, this is something that can't exist. Like, there's ideas that I understand people would be like, oh, I disagree with that. I don't think they should be put out there. But it seems crazy to be like, this is so bad that it can't exist. It can't exist as something that people can at least be against. Yeah, I know. Well, that sums up everything. Right, I know. I just... <laughs> yeah, there is sort of like a a very, like, crazy hard-on for censorship that people have now. Yeah, that's true. Without really wanting to admit that that's what it is. Basically, they want things that they don't agree with to... Not exist. Yeah, disappear entirely. Right. It's crazy. Like If it I, was a book, we'd burn it. Yeah, exactly. And it's weird, but I think that that is something that both sides of the aisle and both sides of things end up resorting to and they both accuse the other of doing it, but they're both kind of doing it the whole time just to the things they don't like. Yes. But I don't know. I think like black snake moan is an interesting movie. I think it's a visually striking film and the music is cool. The music was in the soundtrack was praised effusively. And I think Samuel L. Jackson, while some of the things he says in the movie are insane, his performance is pretty awesome as like this, down on his luck farmer former blues guitar player like when he like kind of reverts back to that later in the movie i think it plays as super cool yeah we're talking like 12 years after pulp fiction and he's definitely channeling jewels a couple of times in this movie he sounds like him a few times he has some mannerisms down like he's definitely like bringing that up plus even the, the deleted scenes where he's reading even more from the bible and stuff it is very reminiscent of right. Jules. So we'll sort of address different things as we go. I don't want to spend too much time on whether or not this movie would or would not exist now. I think we know the answer. It's just a matter of like how do we deal with this movie? How do we perceive it now? And I think a big clue should come from the producers on the Blu-ray and everyone involved in the movie who constantly are referring to it as a fable and a metaphor. <laughs> yeah. They and, have to make that clear to and people. And you can't take it like yes. completely seriously. Yet, here we are, where it feels like everyone... And Brewer himself, at the time, who was always sort of dabbling in these taboo areas or, or interesting areas when it comes to like race and sexuality, because Brewer is white. Yeah, that's tough. And his films often incorporate a lot of racial stuff in them. Hustle and Flow is another one that if that came out now... 
that was controversial at the time too. Definitely. Where Terrence Howard's character is like horrible to women in that movie, and he is sort of like the hero of it. And you're supposed to like be happy for his music career. Yeah, you're like, like not since up. Purple Rain have I seen this type of <laughs> hero in a movie. Yeah, but even him at the time, he was like nymphomania is not real. It's not like an actual psychological condition. It's, you know, it's sort of like this myth. And in reality, people refer to these things as like hypersexuality or things like that. It's not like you can really base somebody's mental state on how much Mm. they want to have sex. That's That's not not a real sickness. It's not a real disorder, (laughs) as they refer to in this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, even at the time, he was sort of like dancing around it when it came to that. I think, obviously, the gender stuff, the sexuality stuff is going to be hard for people to deal with. And I just thought it was funny, too, like reading some of the archived retro reviews from like places that, you know, do-gooders from like Slate or whatever. Their whole thesis in their review of the film is like telling us, the reader, how bad it is to chain someone to their radiator as if <laughs> this slam dunk it, it, that they're... Yeah, it's like, it's no like kidding. We, we know. Yeah. <laughs> really brilliant point there. I guess, but like it is strange that people always seem to have that issue with taking things super seriously, whether it's Fight Club or American Beauty or whatever. I don't know that you would necessarily categorize Black Snake Moan as like a satire, but you do have to approach it from the perspective of it's a story. It's almost like a fairy tale in a way. You're not supposed to think that the solution to people's problems is to chain them in your house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just realizing that now that you're explaining you're it like, to me. But... Oh. oh shit. You're like, yeah. As you like just put the headphones down and get up and leave, yeah. you're like, I got to go do something. I got to put my chain away. <laughs> so let's get into it. The title of the film derives from the 1927 Blind Lemon Jefferson song. The film itself is very much rooted in the Mississippi blues movement. Oh, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson learned some guitar for this movie, and he does his own singing and playing in it. He actually had a lot of time while he was filming Snakes on a Plane, of all things. Another movie with the word snake in wow. the title. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. I, for some reason, I thought Snakes on a Plane came out a couple years after this. Snakes on a Plane was before this. I don't know when the release dates worked yeah, out, yeah. but they were, I think, around the same year. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think they're both 2006 movies. The title refers to personal demons, the voice inside that won't leave you alone. I think on the surface, at the start of the film, you're supposed to see that the most in Christina Ricci's character, Ray. But as you go along, you learn that Each of the three main characters, especially Lazarus, he also has personal demons as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. They're just sort of different. They're not as easy to pick out. Whereas Ronnie is anxiety. Ray is this sexual abuse in her history. But Lazarus is more like this bitterness. Well, you get the sense that there was some problems with his marriage. Yeah, he's bitter about things. And even like the specifics of those problems are difficult to navigate now. Everything is sort of on a razor's edge in this movie. That's true. It's sort of what's so exciting and interesting about it. Yeah, and maybe this is like why I was vibing with it in this way, but I was telling you before the show, I was kind of like getting like real True Blood vibes from 
the feeling of it, which for anyone that ever watched was a completely insane show that you yeah. <laughs> could not take at face value. There's a dude in this movie who was in the first season of True Blood, this kind of like yeah grimy blues guitar southern setting just reminded me of that show but that was really the feel that i was getting from it and that's why it's so hard for me to like look at this and take this serious yeah i think that you can not take it seriously but also still pull things from it well definitely. i think that's like it's sort of the same idea as like a fable or a fairy tale sure like there's still a message there and it's just up to you whether or not you agree with the message or not or what you take from it that's sort of the bigger question i think on the surface to to sit here and be like yes this girl's in her underwear and she's just like chained to a radiator of course that seems wrong (laughs) (laughs) i don't think we needed even like me too to get us to that point i think even like some real world stuff where like women are abducted and kept locked up and you know, you make like a deathly serious movie like Room or whatever, and you're like, oh, okay. So obviously we know that. It's more like even if you were able to get past that and it's like, well, what is the story here? I don't know. I think it's mostly yeah. about like broken people learning to rely on each other and, That's true. and try to make things work because ultimately you're trying to... Trying to fix other people seems to be a big part of it. Yeah, and whether or not you can or you should. Yeah. Black Snake Moan centers on two lonely, hurting people. We have Lazarus Reed, or Red. I'm not really sure. Is it Reed or Red? Mm, I don't know. It looks like it's written as Red, but it might be pronounced Reed. I don't know. That's Samuel L. Jackson. Sometimes I'm going to be referring to him as Laz. I will say, um, I didn't talk about it on the uh, Sorority Babes episode, but it was refreshing for me to return to subtitles, as Sorority Babes didn't seem to have any. Okay. A deeply religious, stubborn farmer former blues guitarist and early in the film we learn that lazarus's wife rose has had an affair with his brother and is leaving him yeah played out in a scene at a diner right at the onset of the movie and you're like man how many scenes in restaurants have you had like this in your life where you're putting a curse on your ex essentially (laughs) yeah everybody's staring it's quite a scene and this whole chain of events has left laz bitter and angry Oh, yeah. I do love the balls of his brother, though, to show up at that bar. That's nuts. Well, in the opening scene, you don't know that it's actually his brother, right? I think they... Yeah, it takes a little time They for leave it all. vague like it's just some other guy. And then when the guy comes to confront him, you find out that it's his brother, which, by the way, that is insane. I need your blessing before we leave town. Yeah. It's like, what the F fuck? F off. And this is one of those moments where Samuel Jackson is definitely channeling Pulp Fiction for a minute. There is, like, a little bit of scariness. He breaks that bottle. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It gets sort of real. It's pretty intense. It feels like there's a possibility that he's going to jam this half-broken bottle in this dude's neck. And our other main character is Ray Duel. D-O-O-L-E. I think they say Duel, or is it Dooley? Yeah. I'm having a hard time with the last names. Yeah, I gotta say, I wasn't really honing in on the last names of either of our leads here. Ray's played by Christina Ricci. Ray's boyfriend, Ronnie, played by Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Kind of an interesting, and this was probably on my mind a little bit, too, just because I watched Alpha Dog recently, but was Justin Timberlake going through one of these, uh, you know, Disney girl sagas? Because it's like all around the same time he does like Black Snake Moan, <laughs> Alpha mean- Dog, and he's he was in friggin' Southland Tales, too. It's like, I don't know. He was like choosing a lot of weird 
movies to be in, I feel like. That's possible. I I think his whole thing was like just wanting to be an actor. Yeah. So okay. he he was taking stuff that get. was getting offered to yeah. him and people that were maybe making stuff that was a little off the beaten path were taking advantage of his stardom. And his name, yeah. Yeah, it probably helped get things rolling a little bit because even though he's not like an established actor at that point. Still a big star. Yeah, he's like bringing something to the table. Ronnie's leaving for deployment in the Tennessee National Guard, and this event seems to trigger a series of destructive choices in Ray. We have Ronnie's friend Gil, who... Matt alluded to, played by Michael Raymond James. He was the villain, which I guess is sort of a spoiler it for is. True Blood I was going to jump one. all over you for that. <laughs> Folks, if you listen to this podcast and you don't know who the villains in True Blood are, what are you doing? Yeah, because <laughs> another one might get mentioned by something else we do down the line. Okay, so right away, something's off almost immediately once Ronnie's driving away. There is an actual physical manifestation of what will later be described in the film as, quote, the sickness. She's writhing around. She seems to have some sort of burning in her crotch, Yeah, for lack of a better way of describing it. It's a lot to process, I think. There's a lot of audible noises. I don't really know what they're supposed to. It seems like. Yeah. I think right away. If we're being completely real, this film would be eviscerated for the fact that this was written by a man. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden he's describing. Uh, spoiler alert! I'm just. I think this movie is going to be much more of a hang for us. Sure. I don't, I'm not. The plot is sort of you know whatever. <laughs> so I'm going to spoil some things that come later in the film. But this is all related to past trauma. I don't think that's a big surprise. Right. But the fact that this male writer is like okay. I'm going to write the perspective of a woman who was abused and then how she like is yes. processing that later right. in life. That's going to be a hard obstacle to overcome. Absolutely. And I think like, despite some of my commentary earlier, I think I that should be clear to everyone why that's problematic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm just saying like, it's not necessarily something that you're just like, this movie shouldn't exist then. Right. I think that's something that should open the conversation. I do think that we are in a world now where Kevin Smith would get criticized for writing chasing amy from his perspective and whatever i don't necessarily always agree with that kind of stuff i think anybody can tell any story and then it's up to the viewer to sort of decide how they want to process that yeah and if they want to think okay i don't agree with this angle because of this that or whatever i don't know that necessarily means that these things shouldn't exist as you're saying right but this specifically because of like me too and because of the way that sexual trauma and abuse has sort of been on the minds of people and it's been in the news and it's been this thing. I think this would be such a lightning rod. Yeah. Just this alone, let alone everything that happens after this. (laughs) It is weird though, too, because while it's obviously written from a male's perspective, who's to say that it's not based off something. I think you often find out that these things end up coming from someone's conversation or whatever. So then you're saying that that person's, perspective is no no i agree with you and i do think that's probably the case it it just seems like you do find that out and then you're like okay so now we're discrediting this person whose perspective it really was based on but it's a weird it's just such a weird road to go down yeah i know there's a million weird roads that you go down if you follow these things to their natural conclusions but i think people more or less want to just tweet things out and then leave it at that that's true (laughs) yeah (laughs) there is no room for nuance 
Ray also has a cough. Never really has explained what that is, but it's just sort of a general unhealthiness. That's right. Yeah. She has... It seems more symbolic, I guess. She's been Um, running rough. Yeah. Running rough. Whatever that cough medicine is that he's able to basically illegally acquire from the pharmacy really helps. So Ronnie leaves. Ray is in disrepair. The idea is that she's suffering from some sort of nymphomania which is a word that's never used in the film but that's sort of the idea it's this compulsion for sexual activity which she uses as a release from these demons as i mentioned i don't really think people think that nymphomania is like real in the sense that it's like a just this uncontrollable yeah you have to get it going Right, especially to this level. Right. I think there are people who are sex addicts, but that comes from, I think, a different mindset than what they're portraying in this yeah. movie. That's more of this desperate need for like human connection, and so they use that as like a way, and they don't want to be alone, like that kind of a thing. Right. It's not like a physical thing in their <laughs> <Yeah>. body. <laughs> to... <laughs> Folks, I know. Can you or should you take Black Snake Moan at face value? I think pretty early on, the answer becomes clear, no. Right. I think once Ronnie drives away and she's basically writhing around in those jean shorts, freaking out, grabbing at her thighs and whatnot, I think you can just sort of be like, okay, this is just supposed to be provocative and weird. and I think so, yes. Get people riled up and what is happening. Ray immediately meets up with a drug dealer named Tyrone for sex to quench her (laughs) thirst. And again, this is something that's pointed out in a lot of the archived reviews. I think people now would maybe not say the same things. But yeah, there was a lot of like, oh, look at this interracial stuff that's being put in our face. As if like it's doing that intentionally to like mess with us. I don't think now that people would react that way because... I was going to say, I guess that's part of it. That is not like a shock or anything for me. There was a lot of things in these articles. I was telling you about one specifically that was trashing this movie, basically using the thesis of like how it's bad to chain people up as if it's some <laughs> brilliant commentary. And then at the end, they're like, this was written by a woman, by the way. Like, what the fuck is up with Christina Ricci's appearance in this movie? I used to think she was attractive. She looks too skinny. She's emaciated. Her hair looks fucked up. Like, blah, blah, blah. It's just going on and on and on. And I'm like... But also, wasn't she like trying to intentionally look bad for the movie or look rough, I feel like? Yeah, I think Christina Ricci only ate foods that had no nutritional value while making this movie. By the way, still looks better than I would ever look. <laughs> than I could ever strive to look. Oh, well, uh, on the I, other hand, a lot of <laughs> unnutritional food in my everyday diet. I don't agree with what this woman is know, saying, know, but that's not my point right. either. Yeah, Whether yeah. or not I agree with it, it's just they would never say that now. I'm not saying it at you. No, I know, but yeah. it's taking away from my point. Uh, okay, go ahead, please. <laughs> Which is just that this person gets on their soapbox about why this movie's so wrong and then sort of undoes everything by doing something that would never fly today. Yeah. Man or woman writing this stuff about the appearance of... Right. We still have to like just have being a meltdown. Critical of the physical appearance. Yeah, when that's brought up by anybody ever, there was like the whole controversy over Carrie Mulligan and promising young woman, and I mean it happens every now and again, and people have like a complete meltdown about it. Yeah, and this seems so common, and it's the same thing with bringing up the black white dynamic, which 
I do think that the stuff with Samuel L. Jackson is intentional. As you said, oh, it's okay. like sort of like a it's got sort of like a slavery yeah, yeah. overtone with the chain and everything and it does feel intentional in that sense. But yeah, even the stuff with like Tyrone, I I, I don't know. I it's hard to you, you can't read Craig right. Brewer's mind yeah. as to what they were thinking here, but it definitely factors into how like other characters feel and react about this stuff. That's true. They put that out there. Ray goes to this party. It's sort of this outdoor crazy event. There's drugs, booze, and rednecks with bad intentions. For Ray, she does some drugs. I don't really even remember what those pills were, but she's fucked up and and eventually descends into this underwear football game. Which I, I was watching this part being like, man, I don't really remember this happening at the parties I was going to. Yeah, it's a real weird and dark scene. Yeah. In a way. It gets bad with ha- what's happening with Ray, but just the oh, other yeah, group yeah, yeah. that's playing football seems kind of harmless. And I'm like, oh, it's just a couple babes hanging out in their underwear playing football. Ray is wearing panties and shoulder pads, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a night of promiscuity and drug use. At one point during the game, this guy just like gets on top of her and just starts fucking her. And she's yeah. like sort of so out of it. This that, definitely like... wasn't happening at parties I was going to. <laughs> well, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons Ricci was able to land this role was that she was willing to do the nudity that they wanted to have in this movie. And it's mostly topless stuff. Yeah. It's not... I, I don't know. It doesn't feel like there's that much. I, I feel like I only remember a couple scenes. Well, she's in an underwear and half-shirt combo for a huge well, that's part true, of the but movie. I'm, okay, yes. I, I don't consider that nudity. <laughs> Okay, by the strictest definitions, yes. she's covered in those scenes, but I don't know that a ton of actresses were interested in doing it. Especially since Natalie Portman wasn't. <laughs> especially since it is sort of taboo. And she Yeah. She is topless uh, several times. That's true. Okay. We should say. All right. I was thinking it was a couple, but after being abandoned by this game. Who else was up for this role? I don't know. I could not find casting what ifs. It seems I like didn't know. Kirsten Dunst. When Singleton read the script, he was like Lazarus is Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Period. No one else. Right. But I didn't really see casting what ifs with Ray. I, I don't know. Okay. I'm interested. After being abandoned at the party and everyone's gone, Ray turns to Gil, Ronnie's friend, who offers her a ride home. And while this is happening, he pulls over to the side of the road. So right away, you know. I mean, she's barely able to keep her eyes this open. This guy, uh, fading no, in and out. really not a lot of positive vibes around him. <laughs> You know, even heading up to this. Yeah, you always got the sense that... He kind of seems like a slime ball, even in the onset of this meeting. Gil tries to take advantage of Ray, essentially rape her, across the front seat of his truck. But she laughs at him, telling him he ain't got half of what Tyrone got. Yeah. Enraged, he punches her several times in the head, and then panics when he thinks he's killed her. Which is fucked up, don't get me wrong. It's fucked up that he punches her in the head a bunch of times. I also think it's crazy that he thinks she's dead. Like, who does he think he is? Mike Tyson? (laughs) Like, yes, it is possible. I don't want to diminish it. It has happened. But it seems highly unlikely to me that she would be dead. I would agree. But on the other hand, it's just like... He only punched her, I think, twice. I know, but when you're in these situations... (laughs) (laughs) When have you been in this situation? Yeah, that's why I started walking that back. No, uh, it's just it's one of these things where it's just like, I don't know. You don't know what the hell. You probably. I yeah, he panics. Yeah, it's just a panic. 
He dumps her by the side of the road wearing only a t-shirt and her underwear, and that's it. So pretty cool move by your best friend. You go off to the National Guard. It's an emotional thing. You've got all these plans with this girl, and then Seemingly, immediately... this is like the night of, right? I mean, that's what it seems he's like. just left. That's what it seems like. The next morning, Laz discovers Ray unconscious next to the road, and he carries her to his house. As she's struggling to come to, Ray keeps saying Tyrone. This makes Laz think that Tyrone is the one who did this. And at this point, Laz is still very reluctant to be involved with this. He's trying to do what's right. He's trying to be like a good person, but he hasn't quite reached the levels that yeah. he's going to reach later. This he is still more of like, I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I doing this? Right. He hasn't embraced the role that he would go on to take on in their relationship. Yeah, and later in the film, with his interactions with his friend, the pastor, R.L., That's right. you understand his motives. Sure, yeah. Like, what am I going to do, call the police? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that only ends poorly for me. Yeah, and it's still unbelievably prescient to our times today. Yeah. I think we still understand that. Laz leaves her on his couch. He drives into town. He meets up with the pharmacist, Angela, who is the... Local woman with a heart of gold who hooks him up with some cough medicine. Sweet, sweet lady. Meanwhile, Ray has a fever dream, and it's our first hint, maybe, of what is going on in her past. Seems pretty ominous and scary. There's like a light under a door, a door opening, a, a blurred vision of a man. Doesn't feel like it was a great upbringing. Laz goes to see Tyrone, thinking he was the one to beat on Ray, but instead learns that Ray fucks everybody, and <laughs> she's got the sickness, as they refer to it. Yeah, she she has a reputation in town. And this is where Lazarus also learns her name is Ray. Yeah, it's sort of an endearing thing that Tyrone is willing to say these things, but then be like... Oh yeah, he does have a soft spot in his heart for Ray. Mm-hmm. There's other girls he's more willing to throw away, even, that he calls out by name. <laughs> You're like, okay. He's the pimp with the heart of gold. That's right. Lazarus returns home to find Ray face down in the middle of the floor. And there's this weird moment where she's almost channeling the Linda Blair character from The Exorcist or something. She's almost like possessed. She's got this fever. And ultimately, she repeats something that Laz's wife said in that restaurant. Yeah. Which and so is... he freaks out. Yeah, because you, you are like, is there a possession going on here? Yeah, it almost breaches the supernatural a little bit well i think you know there's some voodoo shit going on down here there was a curse (laughs) attempt and he grabs the bible and just runs out of the house that's right and you know what if he was smart he would have just kept running yeah just be like eventually she'll leave i don't need to be involved in this situation (laughs) but when he's outside he realizes that it's time to go to work and it's almost as if there's some sort of a divine intervention moment a realization that he needs to step into this young woman's life and do what he can to help her. I don't know that I necessarily agree with his tactics, but I think it's fair to say that his intentions are good and his heart is in the right place. I would agree. Uh, Obviously, (laughs) you can debate (laughs) the way that he goes about doing these things. The approach is questionable. But let's be real. I mean, he never hurts her in any way other than keeping her at his house he doesn't hit her no 
doesn't sexually abuse her, assault her, doesn't touch her inappropriately, doesn't do anything, doesn't berate her, doesn't say mean things to her. He just keeps her chained to his house. (laughs) (laughs) Only that. I'm like trying to mount a case for his defense. (laughs) Folks, it's not that bad. Hold on. (laughs) Relax. Everything else is fine. Just this one horrible thing. (laughs) If you can look past the chain. First of all, we got to jump into the ice bath to break her fever. And he starts giving her the cough medicine and everything. So this is going to be like a a several-pronged approach to curing her of her physical ailments. Then later, after Ray wanders off at night, confused and crying out in his garden... Laz decides to chain her to the radiator so that she won't escape anymore. By the way, this chain is actually, like, insanely long. Yeah, he gives her enough leeway to go to anywhere in the house. Go about the house. Even a little she bit out of the house. She can make it out the door, yeah. He's also fending off her desperate and defensive sexual advances. Because she's just like, okay, this is the currency I know that men respond to. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have a problem with handing it out as long as... She can just leave and go about her life. She's right. like, all right, we'll do what you want. But he's def- he's fending that off. Now, he does chain her to the radiator, and Christina Ricci was allowed to pick the chain. Oh. It could have been fake. It could have been real. could have been different types of chains. She ends up picking a real 40-pound chain. Wow. It does look heavy. she kept around her the whole time. Her commitment to this part is actually pretty crazy because she was eating like the shitty food to look a certain way and had this chain on her the whole time had to wear insane outfits yeah and she did not get dressed in between takes i saw oh, that oh in yeah the research. yeah i think i was reading that too and samuel jackson was like what are you doing you know, put Throw some a clothes on or, or whatever yeah, and she was yeah. like no, no no i'm doing something here yeah <laughs> it's method she was very committed to it i'm i was sad to see that she was upset with the marketing of the film later and sort of felt betrayed by it but, you know, those things tend to happen. It's hard to control oh, yeah. how a film is going to be and what it's going to end up coming out of it. But she seemed to understand and appreciate the vision that Brewer had for the yeah. movie. So it's not like a, a Patty Duke, Valley of the Dollar situation. What do you mean? Where she was really embarrassed by the final product of it. Doesn't seem like it, Yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> I do love her realization like the next day because she's still sort of coming out of this haze that she's been in since the beating from Gil. And so the next morning when she's sort of conscious and I can never say that word and uh, with it for the first time at Lazarus's house and she's got that chain around her waist and right. she's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just coming to. I guess I best be on my way. Well, I, I think we need to talk some. No, sir. I gotta be on my way. Let's get your wits about you for you. I, I want to tell you about that. Why you got me chained? been doing to me i ain't laid a hand on you except to break your fever like i said now, I goddamn chain off me look girl you've been running wild on me between them fits and them fever dreams you having i've been chasing you all over this place at night well i'm woke now you can take this off no you ain't right yet 
I'm right enough to stand on my own two feet. Now get this goddamn chain off me! Who the fuck do you think you are? I saved your life, girl. I can do and say whatever the fuck I want. Now I didn't give you enough change so you can get around the house here. You can get the kitchen, bathroom back yonder. Got enough food around here. You more swallows left in that medicine over there. Whatever you want, you know, if you want to have me, you can you can take me. I, I'll do whatever you like. I just when you're done, I gotta go, you know, because I can't I, I can't stay here with you. God seen fit to put you in my path. And I aim to cure you of your wickedness. You some kind of pervert? No, ma'am. Some crazy Jesus freak? You know, fuck the spirit in me? You watch your tongue in my house. Look at mister. Now you sick. You got a sickness. We done do. broke the fever. Do now we gonna break the whole devil got on One of the things the film was criticized for is, I guess, if you are willing to give Lazarus this benefit of the doubt that he's this good guy with good intentions, he does keep her in her half t-shirt and panties combo for a while before he's like, all right, I'll buy you a dress. Uh, Yeah, I need to get her some respectable clothes. It is a little weird, and there is a salacious element to the movie that is undeniable no matter how you try to like flip things around. Absolutely, without question. (laughs) Because, yeah, you could just be like, all right, homegirl was a little promiscuous. Yeah. He's going to try to save her, whether that's his business or not, I don't know, but he's doing this. On the other hand- Put her in some sweatpants. It does (laughs) seem like it's pretty hot. Oh, you mean in the house? Yeah. (laughs) That radiator just never stops putting out heat year-round. It's like 90 degrees outside. And the Yeah, the heater's still on. Yeah. One of those things where even when the heat's off, it's always kind of kicking out a little bit of heat. Yeah. Laz believes that it is his spiritual duty to heal Ray of her sinful ways and refuses to release her until he does so. So this becomes sort of a crusade of his. They don't really show us in the movie like this moment of his eyes opening or his like dawning of a realization that this is something he needs to do or whatever. It's just sort of like. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, he decides. And the truth is that he's wounded, too. He's carrying a lot of pain from what happened with his wife. There's even more pain than we're aware of at first. And he seems mostly confident in scenes when he's addressing her. But I think they definitely convey that he's, like, making it up as he goes. Especially in his conversations with RL. Yeah, and I think he's having self-doubt, too, as to whether or not he should be doing this. Yeah. (laughs) Or if this will turn out okay. But over time, and it's strange, it doesn't really take that many days for Ray to have like a begrudging acceptance of this. I mean, she tries to run out of the house once and then gets yanked back by the chain, and he has to drag her back into the house at one point. Right. Which is sort of a rough scene. But, you know, it's not like she had a lot going on, and it uh, maybe you could say the argument in the film is that like deep down she's like, maybe this will work. <laughs> As crazy as no, that yeah. is? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's too much for me to say? Well, no, I just don't really know how I'm supposed to react to that. I don't know. I'm just saying it doesn't take long for her to just sort of go with it a little right, bit. Right, yeah. There's probably a part of her that, this character, that there's a loneliness there. I think she has some trauma over the fact that 
you know, Ronnie just left. Yeah. There's no loving home for her to go back to. Oh, yeah. And we're definitely going to find that out as we go. Right. And it seems like Ronnie keeps Ray afloat and Ray keeps Ronnie afloat. That's right, yeah. Although at this point, we're only seeing a a few flashes to Ronnie out there throwing up and being anxious and whatnot. I mean, he threw up at the beginning of the movie, but... In that context, you think, like, okay, he's just nervous. You don't know that this is something he does all the time. Yeah, right. Laz goes out to buy Ray some real clothes in town. Plus, he takes the opportunity to stop and see Angela again. And while he's away, this kid that works for him from time to time to help him on his farm, Lincoln, stops by the house. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lincoln. And this plays out almost like a horror movie in a way. It's this building thing that actually goes on way longer than you think to the point where you are getting nervous. You're like, what is happening here? Like builds up and then it kind of like comes down and then like shoots way back up again. Yeah, because he's walking around the house. He's knocking on the door and it almost seems like Ray is doing what she can to just ignore it and that it's like this internal struggle. And that's how they portray her problems at all time is this compulsion that she can't control something that like is bursting out of her yeah, right. to do. And there's this strange man outside, although I think that's another questionable thing about the movie is like how old is Lincoln supposed to be? I don't know. It seems not that old. I feel like underage. Probably, yeah. He's looking for Laz. Laz isn't around. Then he thinks he hears something. He comes back. He's trying again, and then she can't control it anymore. Yeah. And he opens the front door, and she just, like, bursts from the radiator, taking her taking shirt off. top off, yeah. Pouncing on him. And it's almost like that scene from Jennifer's Body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Megan Fox is, like, with that dude in the woods, and then just all of a sudden is, like, moving towards him, and her mouth gets, like, really right. big. <laughs> There is something scary about it, in a way. Yeah. Especially later when it we find intense. out that Lincoln is a virgin. Right. Well, this crossed my mind. Poor Lincoln, in a sense, because you're like, if the things that people are saying about her is true, people are throwing out like STD accusations and everything. Yeah, although you do have to, you do have to like pay attention to the wording that they specifically seem to be using because he says he does say "used to" or something like that. Okay, yeah, making it seem past tense. Oh, hopefully for Lincoln's sense, because boy, what a rough first time if it's going to result. Yeah, because I do agree with you because I thought that. Later, once Samuel comes back and like kicks him out and then goes and finds him when they're having that chat in the barn, I was like, Is he gonna bring up like you need to get tested? Oh, yeah, <laughs> rough. I kept expecting him to say it, but he doesn't. But yeah, I have to admit that I did think that that would be traumatic though. So Laz comes home and he finds Lincoln inside with her and he kicks Lincoln to the curb. And at that moment, the pastor and Laz's close friend RL shows up at the house and there's this tense standoff where Laz is pointing a gun at him and being like, get out of here. And he, the dude's like not understanding it at first. And he's like, oh, that's for me. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, so well, then do it. Me. Right. <laughs> and he doesn't do it. Ultimately, Laz can't hide it any longer. And he allows RL to discover that Ray is imprisoned in the house. It almost builds to a place where he's like, come on, I need you to talk to her. Yeah, yeah. I need your help on this. Eventually, but at first he doesn't even know what's in the house. Right, right, right. But, I mean, as that scene unfolds, he's starting to, like, take it to a place of, like, go in and talk to her. I need you to talk to her. Right. 
Yeah, the first time that RL sees Ray in the house is hilarious because it is such an understandable yeah, yeah. reaction of like, what the fuck? Right. Because you have a half-naked post-Lincoln state where she's topless in the middle of the floor. She's got this chain around her waist that's tied to the radiator. And yes. you're like, what the fuck I would is be, going on? It's almost like if I come over here and I'm like, dude, I can't see this. <laughs> Just get in your car yeah. and drive away. <laughs> I didn't see anything. Right. <laughs> but yeah, Laz implores RL to speak with her, lend her guidance, and wants him to stay for dinner. Also, Lincoln back in the mix because Laz tracks him down in the barn. He makes things right with him. Laz shares the story of losing his virginity to his second cousin. Yikes. Who he describes as like this huge person. A really wild story that he's got there you're like Lincoln's like you know what I felt better not knowing this story (laughs) yeah I guess it's fucked up but again I hate to say it all the time Samuel L. Jackson's kind of an older guy so you're talking like something that probably happened in like the 60s in the south it doesn't surprise me (laughs) the second cousin thing right okay I think that's probably a little bit more common than we want to think okay (laughs) technically legal yeah so I guess Who's to shame then? Well, we can still shame a okay. little bit. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. People don't fuck your cousins. Come on. <laughs> no matter how badly you want to, just come on. <laughs> At least go third, cousin. Second still feels pretty close to me. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I don't know if I could list a second cousin that I have. I, I don't even know them. So I yeah. guess I get it in that sense. <laughs> I mean, they're basically strangers. I mean, if to you me. just met a second cousin for the first time today, and it was Alexandra Daddario. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, come on. I'd be like, it's legal. <laughs> and she's like, just because it's legal doesn't mean I want to. You are repulsive. <laughs> yeah, but we could though, is what I'm saying. Just keep an open mind. Yeah, don't rule it out. I think there's a pretty strong scene here between Ray and RL when they're talking about heaven and being a good person and that kind of stuff. I do think RL is like the perfect counterbalance to Lazarus who comes off as sort of this zealot at times yeah. where you're just sort of like unable to deal with him because even though he's not the preacher, he's like he seems a little almost prickly. Yeah, he's like hard and fast right. and there's like no discussion, which is probably why he wanted RL to talk to her in the first place. He's like, "Well, you're more reasonable right. than me." <laughs> I can't be you preacher. That's right. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. You know, people are always saying you gotta get right with Jesus if you want not to go to hell, you know? You gotta say you're sorry and Jesus will let you into heaven. You can put it that way. <sighs> so fucking stupid. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to curse, I just... No, no, no. What's on your mind? What's on your mind? You can't go around hurting people and then just say you're sorry and it all gets washed away. Why would heaven want people like that? I'm going to tell you something. It's just going to be between you and me. I think folks care on about heaven too much. Like it's some kind of... Oh, you can eat buffet up in the clouds, and folks just do as as they're told so they can eat what they want behind some pearly gates. 
there's sin in my heart. There's evil in the world. But when I got no one, I talked to God. I asked for strength. I asked for forgiveness. Not peace at the end of my days when I got no more life to live or no more good to do, but today, right now. What's your heaven? And we find out a little bit more about Ray's life and her feelings about Ronnie. And that is one thing they do pretty well in the movie. You believe in that love. You believe that there's like this salvation there. And there's like a sweetness to Ronnie's loyalty to her and the reasons behind that. I watched all of the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray, and the only one I think they should have kept in it was the one I showed you. Oh, yeah, because I think where they th- first get it going. Yeah, they first like sort of meet each other at that party. And right. even though it's a weird scene and oh, weird yeah. stuff happens in that scene, I do think that it, it helps establish this weird connection they have and yes. the way they help each other. Meanwhile, Ronnie unexpectedly returns to town after being discharged from the National Guard due to his severe anxiety disorder so you sort of learn that ronnie's got his own issues oh yeah and you learn how severe they are because there's no real indication hey. that that's where it's headed that's right and listen a movie in 06 heavily about trauma and mental illness come on I yeah and i mean that's a little bit that's tied in obviously in a post 9-11 world very much involved with the stuff going on in the middle east yep you know he comes back, he runs into Gil at this bar, this old guy teases him about the big chicken dinner. That's right. Which, of course, leads to a whole thing. This fucking guy, Herman. Oh, yeah. Fucking Herman. Really? <laughs> Ronnie immediately runs into Gil as he's looking for Ray, who essentially has fallen off of the face of the earth as far as her friends and family are concerned. Mm-hmm. And it provides a little window into Ray's reality as there is no missing persons report, no searching, and no one seems overly concerned as to where she is. She'll turn up, I think, is the general consensus. Yeah. You kind of start seeing like why these girls get murdered sometimes and it takes forever for anything to happen. and People just don't treat it with the right sense of urgency. Yeah. It's weird. We see the dinner scene with R.L. and Lincoln and Ray and Laz and... She's wearing this dress that Laz got for her. She still got the chain around her waist, though. There's another interesting deleted scene. I know that there are probably people that get annoyed when I start going off onto the Blu-ray stuff too much, but there is another scene where RL's like, look, I'm not leaving here tonight until you promise me you're taking that chain off of her. Yeah, right. So then the next morning, that is when Laz eventually just takes the chain off. But... It is weird because I, I was thinking, like, in a real world, Lincoln and RL are basically, like, accomplices now. Yeah. If they don't do anything about this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but nothing about this movie seems like it's taking place in the real world, so uh, no one ever gets in trouble for anything. 100%. Ronnie and Gil go to Ray's trailer. Unclear if Ronnie lived there full time, but I guess he probably did. It's hard to say. I was getting that sense ronnie's distraught of course he's looking for ray she's his rock yeah and gil he's just sort of over it at this point yeah ronnie brings up 
Ray's past abuse, and this is the first time it's actually been said specifically by right. a character. But Gil tells him that Ray cheats on him whenever he's out of town, insinuating heavily that Gil himself has fucked her plenty of times. Which is such a bold announcement to make. It feels unnecessary. (laughs) I mean, he has some weird thing with Ronnie because he's talking about, you know, you could have had a future. You could have been somebody. And this girl was holding you back. Yeah. I mean, he has some bigger point to prove here. Yeah. We don't really know a lot about Gil. He seems like a shitty person. But there does seem to be like a whole thing with him. He has like a lot of anger towards Ray and Ray's place in ronnie's life and yeah you do get the sense that he was fucking ray occasionally just to get back at ronnie in some way i don't know or split them up ronnie attacks him and they brawl ultimately culminating in ronnie stealing gill's truck to continue his search for ray lazarus and ray drink some moonshine that night and laz releases her from her chain saying now that he has no authority to pass judgment on her, and he tells her, you have one life, live it the way you want. Oh, yeah. But Ray is in no hurry to leave. Instead, during a big thunderstorm, she asks him to play her a song on the guitar, and Laz really dives into the blues. Which oh, is, yeah, this is, like, stylized in a cool way. Yeah, this scene is awesome. It looks awesome. The, the stuff with the thunderstorm is cool. This movie is drenched in the blues. We see... Lazarus play several songs before this, although this is the first time he breaks out the electric guitar, That's right. which sort of adds to it as the power is like flickering on and off. It's very cool, and yeah, the soundtrack is awesome because it's very like bluesy and harmonica and blues guitar and all oh, that yeah. stuff. But then the the performances are cool too, and having Samuel L. Jackson do it himself is interesting. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> played for nobody in years. Wanted me some kids. I'll mess up. But for Rose, my wife, kids is for another time. Seemed to change in her. Breasts started swelling up. A couple of mornings I hear her in the bathroom throwing up. I done seen it in other women before, so I knew. Then one day, Rose said she had to go to Jackson, visit her folks, and she ain't want me to go, so I stayed here. You know how they talk about a woman having that glow? She ain't having no more. She done cut it out. Got rid of it. That voice in my head, every time I think it's gone, it comes howling back. Lost in the pines. 
Everybody calls it the Black Snake Moon. Black Snake all in my room. Black snake soon. Please keep singing. Black snake is evil. Black snake is all. tells the story of wanting a lot of children but his wife not feeling the same and then at one point she got pregnant yikes and then secretly ended the pregnancy without telling him wow and then he launches into a rendition of black snake moan by blind lemon jefferson with the electricity in the house going in and out and it's this hypnotic performance yeah it's a jam Ray starts freaking out with her visions of this past abuse, and she's like grabbing his knee while he's playing. And it's cut with Ray's painful flashbacks to this event. And it's just, it's sort of what the whole movie is built around. Yeah, it's sort of of like this weird cathartic moment for the two of them. Yeah, they're both confronting their pain head on in a sense. I don't know that Ray has quite got there yet. That'll maybe come later at the grocery store one step but yeah they're both dealing with it in this thunderstorm because this is the first time as laz has released her this is the first time that she's maybe started to get that feeling that she has some succumbed to in the past and she's like trying to fight through it without the chain around her waist right with the implication i guess being that if she just got up and ran out of the house like she's free to go do what she's got to do there would be someone on the other end of that The next day, Laz brings Ray into town. She's nervous and probably a little overwhelmed. She ends up taking a walk over to the grocery store where her mother works while Laz sets up a place to sell vegetables from his farm. Ray wants to buy some makeup, but she runs into her mother and she tries to make some kind of peace with her mom. Yeah, it doesn't really uh, end in peace. Before just ultimately confronting her about the sexual abuse she suffered at the hands of one of her mom's old boyfriends at some point. And this whole thing is not 
go particularly well. Her mother is played by, and I want to get this right, so I'm going to look this up real quick. I think it's Kim Richards, but let me double check on that. Yes, Kim Richards, who Craig Brewer was a fan of and had a crush on as a kid because she was in things like Escape to Witch Mountain and stuff in the 70s. Oh, wow, okay. She seemed familiar to me. Well, she's also much like the little girl from Halloween. She was on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills for like 10 years after this movie, though. At this point, (laughs) they had to like find her. Because Craig Brewer just decided he wanted her to play this part. Oh, wow. And she hadn't been in anything in a long time, and they're like, well, where is she? we got to find her. Yeah. And they just like, pull her in to be her mom. I love a move like that. <laughs> yeah, because if we were directors, oh, those yeah. are the moves we'd Absolutely. be pulling. Absolutely. <laughs> pulling people out of obscurity from something that we saw as kids. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's a rough scene, because her mom is not handling this well. Her mom obviously has got a lot of problems for allowing this to happen. Ray's basically saying, like, you knew this was going on. You were in the bedroom next door. I was just a kid. I didn't understand it. Her mom's like, fuck you. (laughs) I should have had an abortion, basically. I'm not embarrassed to have this full-on fight in the place that I work right now. Yeah. And so when she gets in Ray's face and is basically like, I should have aborted you, without really saying it like that, but I shouldn't have had you. Yeah, yeah. Ray just like grabs like this mop or something. Oh no. Yeah. And just like runs at her and just smashes her in the face with that's it. Right. And it's screaming. It's like the biggest scene that's probably ever happened at this grocery store. Meanwhile, like the camera pans back out to Laz and he just starts backing away. <laughs> <laughs> Actually the opposite is true. Yeah. Hey. What happened to your face? You got in a little accident. Um, I was thinking, since you're working on the square now, if you wanted to, we could get coffee or something some morning. You need money again? No. No, I... Why we always got to do this? You and me have been at each other as far back as I can remember. I'm your daughter. I'm the only family you got. You never need nobody, Ray. You always made that perfectly clear to me. I know I did. But I'm trying to be different. You know, I'm I'm trying to get some peace. Yeah, well, I'm working here now. Can't you see that? I just want some makeup. All that shit's on aisle five. I just think you should have kept him off me, that's all. What the hell are you talking about? Now, don't do that, Mama. I will go along with all the crap you talk about me, but you can't pretend no more on that. Because I was just a kid. I didn't know about all that shit he was doing to me. And you let him do it. Some big nobody in your life, and you let him do whatever the fuck he wanted with no. I'm sorry, Mom. I didn't mean to shout. Sorry, I didn't mean to get upset. All my I just... life, I've been putting out your fires. Why well, you've been giving out your snatch to every wagon dick in this town. Mama, Mama, and now you're going to put the blame on my feet? It. Just, I don't think so. I'm just not going to take your shit. No, I'm not. This. You don't have to say you're sorry. Just tell me how you knew. The only thing I'm sorry for is forever listening to my parents and having you and not doing what I should have done. Thank you.
Outside, Laz runs into Angela, the pharmacist, once again. And Get more of that cough syrup. They're having this nice little age-appropriate romance that's slowly developing, and they're having lunch on a bench. As behind them, a scene starts to gain attention. A crowd is forming. Uh-huh. Eventually, like Laz sees it, and he stands up, and he's like, oh, God, what's going on in there? He knows that that's where she just went. So Laz has to come into the store and retrieve a hysterical Ray carrying her out, and Angela has found them. And I love the part when Angela is like, is this your niece? And <laughs> Laz doesn't say anything, but I was like, he should have said more or less or yeah. something. That would have been so <laughs> funny. That would have been like something out of like a sitcom or like right. Seinfeld or something, like more or less. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, he just doesn't say anything, which to me makes it worse. Yeah. The not saying no anything. No explanation. We're obviously in a weird situation here. Yeah. Okay. So maybe he can't explain everything. <laughs> Look. All right. You when know, I, said niece, I chained I meant... her to a radiator. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> that night. Because this is a fairy tale, and clearly the police never come looking for Ray for this. Nothing ever happens. Right, right. No one ever gets in trouble for anything in this Yeah, movie. I know. Later that night, Laz decides to put on a blues concert. Seems spur of the moment, but there's a really good crowd that's gathered. Absolutely. People are stoked. This is sort of a coming out for Laz. It's been... Or a comeback. A comeback, yeah. Yeah. That's right. He brings Ray, and there is an extended scene of blues songs with Ray writhing and dancing all sweaty among the crowd. He's like, couple new songs, mostly old ones. <laughs> it's like a baptism by fire. We're throwing her out here, dancing around to the music, up against sweaty people, That's men right. are dancing with her. It's yep. like, can you handle this? And yeah, everything seems fine. Laz doing some songs. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be able to handle it. I'm like Justin Timberlake char- character, Ronnie, just with that anxiety i'm like too many people in the room <laughs> i gotta up. get a yeah i gotta go throw up ronnie of course is in town and he happens to be there and he spies ray through a window i guess he's like outside at that point i don't really I know, it seems happening. like everyone in town is at this place so you would think he'd be in there yeah he sees her and he ends up following them back to laz's house afterwards as they're playing guitar together i think ray is singing this That's little right. light of mine. Yes. While Laz is playing guitar. Uh-huh. As Ronnie approaches from behind. Ronnie sneaks up, attacks Laz from behind, and points a gun at him, intending to do it, but he can't. Laz, pretty cool dude about this all. Never really worried about it, I guess. I was wondering, was that supposed to mirror the way that RL was when he pointed the gun at him? It is. Just, it like, feels similar. It? Yeah. Which... I think is much bigger of a gamble. He doesn't know who this dude is. I know. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Laz talks him down and then calls over RL, and we have a little <laughs> couple's therapy yeah, on the couch. That's right. And this is where we get the full story. We've only seen the movie really from Ray's perspective, but the truth is that this is a two way street. She supports Ronnie and his issues just as much as he is supportive of hers. Sure. Hers seem a little bit more harder to control at times. Right. In fact, it seems like she was better for him than maybe he was able to be for her. Well, yeah, I think that in reality, it's sort of unfair. Yeah, I know. To put those kind of a things. Those are things you have to like. I think that's part of it, too. Like go uh, to therapy. Could either of them successfully be this person for the other? 
No, and that's why the messaging of the film does get weird. Yeah. Because you're like, well, in truth, these are damaged people that need to be in therapy. It's okay for them to love each other and if they want to get married and whatever, but they're going to need professional help too. Right. <laughs> you can't just decide that things are going to be okay. Yeah, I've tried that a bunch of times in my life. <laughs> With the help of Lincoln and Angela, Ronnie and Ray are getting married. Laz is now the full-blown father of the bride, essentially. And maybe one of the most insane, unintentionally hilarious moments I think I've ever seen in the history of film. Okay. This fucking gold chain oh, I that know. Ronnie puts oh, around her so waist. Stupid. I almost jumped out yeah, the window. I know. I was like, oh, yikes right that part is just downright bad (laughs) as i said at the outset of this episode i think the ending is not good no i just don't really think it's great i'm not saying that we didn't need to have a happy ending i mean you could have a happy ending that's fine but it just the execution feels off when you said the ending I, i thought you were talking specifically about the anxiety driving scene with the no i don't mind that yeah i mean although i don't know if that should be the last possible thing in the movie right but I don't mind that scene. No. Because that is an indication that they're both fucked up still, which is how it should be. Right, exactly. <laughs> but no, this the, the whole ending, the yes, whole yeah. final third of the film almost, right. is sort of just rushed and weird, and it doesn't quite have the same vibe as the rest of the movie. I would agree with that. So not even five minutes after the wedding, they're pulled over to the side of the road, each of them having one of their own freakouts. Yeah. <laughs> they're both on a bummer trip. Yeah, a lot of moments like this in my life when driving. Just like one tractor trailer pulling up to my left, the other one behind me beeping. And I feel like, <laughs> oh my God, why did I leave the house? Yeah, it does seem, though, that his problems are bad enough to the point where maybe he shouldn't be driving. Yeah, absolutely, which I've also said about myself. If you can't handle it, it's like, what are you going to do? I mean, this is like me. Every time I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to (laughs) park. Like Everyone's like, oh, you should come do this. It'll be fun. I'm just like, I don't know. Where where am I going to park? And then I spend like the next like 48 hours just stressing about if there's going to be a parking space. And then you're like, I need to have sex. (laughs) (laughs) Just like heating up a bagel. That's right. Yeah, I'm actually more like the Christina Ricci character. (laughs) I need to be chained to a radiator. <laughs> I need to be chained to a radiator so I stop going to Burger King. <laughs> Folks. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the idea is that they're better together than apart, that they're going to support each other, that they're the rock for each other, whatever, which is great, and it is a happy ending, but the truth is that this would end up having to be much more complicated. I'd say so. They still have a lot to deal with. Yes, and yes, the fictionalized idea of Lazarus sort of breaking her nymphomania the same way you would break like a fever as he does in the movie. I mean, that's fine as like a, a fun little exploitative fairy tale type thing. But ultimately at the end, though, like it's was ineffective. Why? Because she still has the thing. Yeah. I mean, what it seemed like he was setting out to do. Yeah. But I think she's changed, though. Yeah, I think so. I think the idea is everyone's changed. Like, Lazarus is now going to get things going with Angela. I don't think it's any... If you look at it in terms of, in an overall just symbolic of addiction and not necessarily, like, sex addiction... Yeah. It's almost how they describe it. Like, she goes through, like, this rehab, and then it's like, okay, now you have to deal with... You still have these, like, past demons and these desires and these uh, pulls to want to do these things, but... 
you just have to be able to get past it. And that's almost what it feels like. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I also don't think it's any coincidence, obviously, that his name is Lazarus. He's sort of, like, resurrected here right? as a person. I think the implication, though, is that, yes, maybe Rose did him dirty, but he was sort of this person even before she left, and he needed to sort of be rejuvenated. Oh, yeah, I would agree. And so he's breaking the guitar out. He's getting out there. He's That's right. a nice pharmacist. Going to hook him up with that good dope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's One Trashy Summer in the books. Black right. Snake Moan. That was a good one. Yeah, I'm like sweating not only because it's hot in here, but because it's a hard movie to navigate in today's society. Yeah, well, it's tough. I can't even imagine what the think pieces would be like if this came out now. Holy shit. This podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what One Trashy Summer is all about. We're we're pushing the envelope. We're doing the movies that people find difficult. Yeah. Controversial. What have you. Like I said, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think some things about it could be better. Although, I love the spirit of it. Absolutely. That's more fun about it. The the, fearlessness. Not the actual... Not necessarily the final product. Yeah, the execution could be better, but yeah, he came up with the idea of framing the movie like an album, like a blues album. It was heavily influenced by that idea of different chapters of a, like as if songs and whatnot. And yeah, there was a window of time in this country where you could make a movie about anything and there wouldn't really be as much blowback to the point where something wouldn't be able to exist. Now I think the blowback would not really allow p- things like this to exist. And right. for people who think that's bullshit, you're wrong. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> the The way that it doesn't exist is it doesn't exist. No one puts up money for it. Yeah, that's it just doesn't exist. Right. Like, yes, when we say, like, oh, what would it be like if this movie came out? It's like, well, it wouldn't happen. No one would greenlight it. No one would, would want to do it. Right. So, yeah, this movie did not make a profit, so maybe that's right. Maybe this movie shouldn't exist, but in that sense. But, you know, we don't really judge art by how financially successful it is. I think that's sort of crazy, too. Yeah. So, yeah, that window is closed. Now we're all just waiting for, like, reboots of Perfect Strangers and things like that, which is real. Like, every every TV show that ever existed is being rebooted. It's to come back. Yeah, that's all that stuff is anymore because people are afraid to take any kind of chances and yeah like not every movie should be black snake moan but like there should be a willingness to try different things to push an envelope without fear of like your career ending because of it i know it's pretty sad like if everyone reacted to this and be like you know what doesn't quite hit the mark this is sort of weird i don't like it or you could right you could even be like i'm 100 percent against this but it's the idea that it shouldn't exist basically is unacceptable to me i just can't get behind that yeah i would agree with that but you know that's where we're at we'll always have one trashy summer that's right since matt has decided to take a break from recommendations i think i'll not give any either this week come back strong for the next one oh okay well come back anyway i don't know about strong Yeah, we'll just wrap it up with no recommendations this week. As I've mentioned, we'll get back to normal next week. We have a huge rest of the year planned, so keep 
checking in for that. Make sure you're subscribed to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or whatever. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That would be great. Ask us for a sticker on Twitter, at GreatestPod. Follow us on there. We don't really tweet very much, so it's not going to clog up your feed if you're already on Twitter. So don't worry about it. Yeah, really. (laughs) Barely ever tweet. I don't even tweet the episodes all the time, which is sort of defeating the purpose of even having it. Are you feeling like you should follow the Twitter account now? (laughs) Yeah, get excited for those lack of tweets. And then every now and then I'll like some tweet that's vaguely controversial. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, follow us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby on there as well. Matt never even likes my reviews anymore. Most people don't. Uh, I I get caught up. I'm sort of... Sometimes I fall behind, but then I catch back up. Losing (laughs) interest. rapidly <laughs> i know the the world isn't really going crazy for my texasville review <laughs> <laughs> texasville is great though <laughs> all right so we thank you so much for listening for bearing with these weird one trashy summer choices we appreciate it so much and we'll talk to you soon next time on the greatest moments in the history of forever this here song from back in the day 1900 and 62. My woman put my black ass out in the cold. I said, baby, why you leaving? She said, I love Dungeon Cold. Well, I waited through water and I waited through mud till I come to this place they calls the Bucket of Blood. bartender give me a dirty look and a dirty glass. I said, say, motherfucker, do you know who I am? He said, hell no, nigga, I don't give a goddamn. I reached down in my pocket and pulled out my shiny 44. Shot that motherfucker twice. He hit the goddamn flow. that time you could have heard the drop of a pin. That's when that bad motherfucker Billy Lyons walked in. About that time a pimp eased up and turned out the lights. That's when I had old Billy Lyons dead in my sight. When the lights come back on, old Billy's gone to rest. I pumped nine of my bullets in his motherfucking chest.
Joel's my horn ready yet? Yeah, it's ready. Should be loud enough for you now. Well, where is it? Let's hear it. Wait, I want to talk to you first. You are talking to me. No, I want your undivided attention. Look, PB, this is important. Does someone want to ask you? Mm-hmm. I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to know if you'll do something. What? I want to know if you'll go someplace with me. Like where? The drive-in. Look, Daddy, I like you. Like? I like you! That's the thing, I like you, too. Daddy! There's a lot of things about me you don't know anything about, Daddy. Things you wouldn't understand. Things you couldn't understand. Things you shouldn't understand. I don't understand. You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner, Daddy. A rebel. 